so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. What began as a tragedy has been used by the Lord as a testimony to encourage countless people around the world. Johnny Erickson Tata's disability has become the platform for her greatest ministry. At Evangelicals for Life, Johnny joined us to cast a vision for human dignity and disability. We hope you're inspired and strengthened by this message. Good evening, friends. I've been asked to speak on human dignity and disability. You know, last year I marked 50 years in my wheelchair and to, I don't know, hallmark that quote celebration as it were, I pulled this copy of a charcoal sketch rendering that I did when I was in occupational therapy in the hospital five decades ago. I framed it, put it on my wall, because I want to remember the humble roots from which I have come as a person with a disability. When I drew that, I was suicidally despairing, totally undignified my life, I thought. And I wanted to convey the horror of those words. Oh, God, this is now my life. I'm going to do this. I'm going to face somebody coming in and giving me a bed bath and feeding me and toileting me and wiping my backside, put my legs through range of motion exercises, brush my teeth, blow my nose, brush my hair, empty my leg bag, feed me in a restaurant. You know, let's get to the heart of it. For anybody, that would be beneath our dignity. Because when it comes to losing your autonomy for a lifetime of pain and paralysis and inconvenience, many would say that a person like that has a very small quality of life. And if comfort and convenience and autonomy is what determines your life value, then your last straw at human dignity is to choose with what little autonomy you have left to end your life. I tried to do that, wrenching my head back and forth on the pillow to break my neck up at some higher level, and so end my despair. Most people who hold the same values might say that if I were successful, I had made a courageous decision a dignified decision, a noble decision. And I tell you what, this is why 50 years later, when I get up in the morning, I remember in in whose image I am made. As difficult as quadriplegia is, I recall and rehearse to myself time and again whose image I bear. My body might be broken, but I am and all people with disabilities are God reflectors. And that's what gives me human dignity. Not my ability to walk or my ability to use my hands, which I cannot. Not my ability to blow my nose or cut my own food or toilet myself. Others might abuse me. Others might take advantage of my physical weakness. There might be some 
who would diminish my human dignity by perceiving me as somehow less than themselves. But I can boast. I can boast in the Lord and his image in me. I wake up in the morning, and for me, whose image I bear is a daily reality. I have to say, I can't do quadriplegia, but I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me and whose image I reflect each and every day. Friend, if we believe that it is beneath our dignity to be weak and helpless, we're operating out of pride. But when you believe that you are an image bearer of God, you're operating out of humility. So for the sake of God's glory and for the sake of human dignity, I get up in the morning and I live for God and I live for other people with disabilities who have yet to understand that they bear the image of God. Every day when I arrive at the office of Johnny and Friends, that's our organization which serves people with disabilities around the world, Every day when I arrive at our office and wheel to my desk, I glance to my right and I see this photo on the wall. Let me tell you about this gentleman. We met him when we were delivering wheelchairs and Bibles in West Africa. He had fallen out of a tree and was a paraplegic, living in intractable pain. You see there his humble little home. That's his house. Two walls and half of a tin roof and a concrete column holding it up. And when I asked if we could take his picture before we gave him a wheelchair, he said, wait one moment. His T-shirt had fallen off his shoulder. And as we watched, he very carefully and gently pulled his T-shirt up on his shoulder, smoothed it out. Now I am ready. We all want to be treated with respect. We all want to be treated with human dignity because even a man like that who has the written code of God's law on his heart, even he knows he has been made in the image of someone higher than himself. And we all want to be treated with dignity. That is inherently ours. So for us at Johnny and Friends, whether it's delivering wheelchairs to a country like his or helping a child with a disability get adjusted to his wheelchair, or whether we are connecting these people with caring churches and educating the people in their village that spinal cord injury is not a curse from a local witch doctor. Cerebral palsy is not a hex from animus spirits. No, whatever we do, it is because that person is a God reflector. And we have a direct moral obligation toward him. We are our brother's keepers. We are our brother's keepers because we are all made in the image of God. We cannot do with people as we would like. Abuse them, look down on them, disregard them, ignore their needs. That we are made in the image of God is the basis for for all human rights. And if human beings, whether they are newborns with multiple disabilities, or whether they are quadriplegics like me who cannot get their arms behind their wheelchairs so that they can get their balance to turn a page, or whether we are elderly people with Alzheimer's, we do not have intrinsic value, moral value, 
if we, if we do not have intrinsic moral value, then universal rights cannot be supported. It's what's happening to children with disabilities in countries where ritual sacrifice is often practiced, whether in Tanzania or whether in Uganda and many other countries where spiritism is the common religion. My good missionary friend, Bob Goff, who wrote the book Love Does, he looked out over the city of Kampala, Uganda, and told me flat out that there wasn't a high rise in that city that did not have a disabled child encased in the concrete of its foundation. All because the people wanted the animus spirits to look favorably upon their business ventures. I've talked to missionary friends, good friends of mine, who work in Tanzania. And the same is true in the Tanzanite mines of that country. It's a precious gem, Tanzanite. And children with disabilities, especially albino children, are tossed down mine shafts, again, to ensure good luck with mining. Please don't think this only happens in developing nations, no. It also is happening in Western industrialized nations. Unborn children with disabilities are systematically aborted to spare the family the inconvenience and the cost of raising a child with a disability. We heard a moving testimony from Eric Brown today and his daughter, Pearl. Thank God there are fathers who are standing up against that kind of thinking. Infanticide, though, is a commonplace when you are an infant born with a multiple disability in a, an industrialized nation. Iceland, we heard that on the news just a few months ago. The nation of Iceland boasts now in the success of achieving nearly a 0% birth rate of children with Down syndrome. They pride themselves at eradicating individuals with a certain disability, sacrificing them all in the name, again, of convenience, cost-effectiveness, as well as religion. Religion, you say? Yes. Did you know that there is a current billboard campaign being run by the largest abortion clinic in Cleveland, Ohio? And one of the first billboards to go up says, quote, abortion is a blessing. Other billboards in the campaign include, abortion is a, quote, family value. Abortion is hope. Abortion is good medicine. The abortion industry explains that the campaign positions abortion as a necessary part of people's lives. No, it's not. It ends people's lives. Back in the 1980s, when I served on the National Council on Disability under first President Reagan and then President Bush, it was the job of our council to review legislation that had disability components in it and to give our opinion as disability advocates. Our council reviewed a report that had been submitted to us by the National Institutes on Health. The report was on disability prevention. And one of the suggestions that the NIH came up with was that abortion should be viewed as a, quote, disability prevention strategy. Now, all 15 of us on that council, independents, Democrats, 
Republicans, special needs moms and dads, individuals with disabilities such as myself, all of us decried that. And we strongly objected to that recommendation. And we told the NIH so in no uncertain terms. But now, now just two decades later, abortion is not only accepted as a disability prevention strategy, it's promoted. But abortion is merely the most striking, the most obvious example of the abuse of human dignity among people with disabilities, whether they are infants or aging. There are other abuses, and they are getting worse, the euthanasia of elderly individuals who are medically fragile. Again, I mentioned the infanticide of newborns with complicated multiple disabilities, but most of all, perhaps, physician-assisted suicide. That's the way disability issues are played out in a post-Christian world. Just a short while ago, parents of, in the UK, of a Down syndrome little girl elected to put her through a series of cosmetic surgeries to make the shape of her eyes and the mouth and her ears more, quote, normal, more typical looking, so that she would better fit in with other typical kids. And some would say, why not? What does it hurt? Well, we should be concerned. When society says that it's okay to surgically modify a child's, quote, inconvenient condition, are we safeguarding human dignity by altering someone to fit society's needs? Or or is human dignity better safeguarded by modifying society? One member at the in the hospital ethics committee, said that, quote, and this is her quote, if it is a question of her dignity being violated, the little girl lacks any cognitive capacity to experience any kind of dignity. Friends, can you see the logical outcome of such a statement? According to that member of the ethics committee, we should then let the Alzheimer's patient run around naked. Or we should let the mentally handicapped person eat off the floor. Or we should allow the child with autism to continue to flap his arms all day without any intervention. That's where such logic will take us. But God, God has called us to treat that Down syndrome child and her body with respect, to secure her rights and to ascribe positive value to her disability. People deserve to be treated with dignity, even if and especially if that person has no idea what human dignity looks like or feels like. Which brings me back to that charcoal sketch I showed you in the beginning. It brings me back to people with disabilities who feel absolutely overwhelmed, lacking what they feel is all human dignity. Last week I spoke with Tommy a quadriplegic friend of mine who is just barely, barely getting over the flu. His lungs are weak. He is tired. He is weary. He wants to throw in the towel. He feels like giving up. He had become so demoralized by his condition that he confessed to me on the phone, Johnny, I, I, I can understand why people like me, people like you, opt for physician-assisted suicide. And he's serious. Uh, he's not alone. Tommy and I live in California, one of six states which has 
legalize physician-assisted suicide. And those with disabilities, those of us with handicapping conditions, we know how easy it would be to stretch the definition of a, quote, terminal illness so that we, too, might qualify under physician-assisted suicide legislation. Last week, the Oregon Health Authority, which studies and reports on Oregon's Death with Dignity Act, last week they stated that, quote, any chronic condition which, if left untreated, would result, that would result in death with six months, could be considered a terminal illness. And then the report went on to say, that this law should be seen as a permissible law. That is so not what they were purporting when the Death Within the Act became law. They gave us so-called safeguards. They told us that it would never mean people with disabilities. But now in Oregon, according to the Oregon Health Authority, terminal illness has been redefined, much more flexible to include any medical condition which left untreated would result in death within six months. The OHA goes on to say, this law does not compel patients to have exhausted all treatment options or to continue current treatment. If the patient decides they don't want treatment, that is their choice. Oh, friends, people can easily despair of their neuromuscular disease. ALS, MS, Muscular dystrophy and other chronic conditions would qualify under both the Oregon and California statutes. It's already happening in Europe. The Bible calls Satan a murderer. And our adversary thinks, likes to think that disability is his territory. He likes to think that he can use disability as ammunition to aim at God's goodness, to smear his reputation. How could you allow something like this child with this multiple disability to be born? How can you be a good God? And this adversary of ours would love nothing more than to convince a despairing person with a disability that life is not worth living. The devil's last frontier is his assault on human dignity. And his most fierce battleground is an aging and a disability. Western society, in fact, our own country, in particular, has bought hook, line, and sinker into this premise that you really are, quote, better off dead than disabled. Society won't admit it. It'll say that it supports the Americans with Disabilities Act. It'll cheer on Special Olympics. Our society will highlight wheelchair users in TV ads or provide special education, curb cuts, restrooms, ramps, but they'll also provide us a special right to die. Now, that is what John Stone Street likes to call our culture of contradictions. Oh, and if you'd like a special right to die, we can accommodate you, along with the Americans with Disabilities Act and special education. Friend, that's the kind of moral double-mindedness, I like to call it moral schizophrenia, that happens when you take God out of the picture. It's like trying to hang human dignity on a hook screw riveted to thin air. It just doesn't work. You know, I often think of how our rights truly are grounded in God's moral law. But when you cut those rights loose from God's word, 
then rights become nothing more than people's willful determinations all dressed up in, in politically correct language to give them a showy kind of dignity. And then the exercise of rights in our country becomes nothing more than a, a, a national competition between who is more victimized than who. And that's what we have become, a haranguing group of individuals who are no longer interested in moral consensus or the common good of our country. We want what we want when we want it. People predicted that that would happen when, in 1973, the U.S. Supreme Court said that the U.S. Constitution included an, quote, inherent right to privacy. I knew back then, people like Francis Schaeffer knew back then, that it would evolve into such a time of radicalization of those very rights, where personal choice was the idol. And people could think that, yes, I have a right to not only abort my child, but end my child's life. And in fact, if I want to, end my life as well. I'm so grateful the Manhattan Declaration states, the Bible enjoins us to defend those who cannot defend themselves. And so we defend and speak up for the unborn, the disabled, and the dependent. What the Bible and the light of reason make clear, we must make clear. We must be willing to defend and even at risk and cost to ourselves and our institutions, support the lives of our brothers and sisters at every stage of development in every condition. How does that translate? Well, if Tommy feels like throwing in the towel because of his chronic condition, we need to come alongside him and ascribe to him positive virtue, positive meaning in his pain. We need to draw him up out of social isolation. We need to help him resolve his conflicts. We need to connect him with spiritual community. In short, we need to help him deal with depression. We need to be his friend. Not his project, but his friend. So tell everyone you know that as the moral fabric of our society wears thin, no one is in more jeopardy than those who are too weak, too depressed, too small, too old, or too medically fragile to speak for themselves and to know how dangerous the battle really is. Speak up and judge fairly, Proverbs 31 says, defend the rights of the poor and the needy, even in your own family and neighborhood or community organization, school or church. You can advocate for the elderly and the physically disabled. And as a person with a disability, I ask for your help. We need your help. So please get prepared. Get involved. Become a fellow at the Colson Center. Serve as an intern at one of our Johnny and Friends family retreats. We hold 50 of them every summer across the U.S. and another 50 in developing nations around the world. Don't tolerate euphemisms like abortion is a blessing. No, speak up and speak out at Starbucks or in line at Costco or over your backyard fence. Take action. Follow the debate on health care reform and the future stability of Medicare and Medicaid. Follow up on bills that help the medically fragile. Too many people with disabilities are being forced into institutions. And can we not come up with a compassionate solution so that seniors and disabled people can live at home and have community-based resources and services as an alternative to being warehoused in nursing homes? Of course they can. That's a pro-life stance to take. Speaking of which, serve as an ombudsman at a nursing home and advocate for patients' rights. Another way you can help, do not tolerate irresponsibility in the media. 
Now, when the media makes Iceland look like a progressive country for eradicating Down syndrome, call them to task. Call the station manager. Write the editor of that newspaper. Learn how to share your views with your friends. And to get started, please visit our exhibit at Johnny and Friends booth right there, number eight in the exhibit hall. We have plenty of resources. We have Beyond Suffering Bibles that you can give to despairing individuals. My new book, When Is It Right to Die, is there, brochures. And if you have questions, I'd like you to get involved. Dr. Chris Ralston is manning the booth, booth number eight there at Johnny and Friends, along with our Johnny and Friends team from Eastern Pennsylvania. And we would love to get you engaged in helping us reach more people with disabilities for Christ in the disability community. In closing, I just want to share one story. When I did serve on the National Council on Disability back in the late 80s, it was our council who drafted the original Americans with Disabilities Act. That particular bill did not pass Congress, but then getting the help of other disability organizations, it was redrafted, and of course, it was passed into law in 1990. All 15 members of our council were there that day on the south lawn of the White House when President Bush signed the ADA into law. And not only were we there, but of course our executive director. His name was Paul Hearn. He was our executive director, but formerly he was the head of the Dole Foundation. A Jewish man, a delightful man. He had osteogenesis imperfecta, got around on his little three-wheel school scooter. We were so excited. He was excited. And we knew that this landmark piece of civil rights legislation for people with disabilities had been passed. Paul Hearn told us in the White House, at the White House uh, reception that there would also be another reception for our council back at the Hyatt Regency. So we all gathered quickly for that time together, a real party we thought it was going to be. But Paul was unusually quiet. We thought he should be very excited. After all, he had led the charge in seeing that the ADA would pass into law. But as the celebration continued, he said he'd like to take a moment to speak with us. And he wheeled his little scooter up front, turned around to face our 15-member council and our friends and family members. He was fingering his glass of champagne, and I will never forget what he said. He said, this law is good, and that it will remove discriminatory policies and practices in employment, this means more qualified people with disabilities will be able to get jobs. That's good. That's great. And this law is good in that you wheelchair users will no longer have to go through kitchen doors and back alleys in order to get to your table at a restaurant. It'll mean there'll be more ramps into restaurants and public places. That's good. That's great. And this law is good in that one day we will see mechanical lifts on public buses all throughout the United States. Public transportation will be accessible to people with disabilities. That's good. And then he was quiet and said, but this law will not change the heart of the employer. This law will not change the heart of the maitre d' in the restaurant. This law will not change the heart of the bus driver. So here's to changed hearts. At that point, tears are flowing down my eyes because I was thinking of exactly what Danny Aiken was just telling us. Government legislation can't change hearts. 
state proclamations, civil rights legislation. Oh, it can educate and it can inform and it can show us a course of action, but it will not change hearts. We have the master, we have the mandate, and we have the message that will change people's hearts. There is so much despair in the disability community. When you heard from Eric Brown, please know we love people like Eric. Special needs dads like him are so precious, but there are special needs dads who are caving in, who are splitting, who are divorcing their families. There are children with disabilities who are being euthanized at an infancy stage. There is so much hopelessness and, and discouragement in the disability community. This community needs heart. This community needs to know whose image they bear. This community needs to wake up in the morning and says, I can't do this, but I can do all things through Christ as he strengthens me. So please remember how Jesus befriended people with disabilities. He loved them. He spent time with them, and we can do the same. Human existence has been deeply affected by the fall of man, and nowhere is it more evident than in the world of disability. My quadriplegia... It's just simply a more noticeable, more obvious, more glaring and serious form of brokenness that is common to all men, to all people who are in the human experience. So please remember why the good news is so great. We have got a mission and a mandate and a message and a master. We have a manual, the God with us, as we extol human dignity and work to safeguard the rights of the weakest and most vulnerable, we will help change people's hearts. Thank you for joining me in that great and noble cause. God bless you. Thanks for listening to the ERLC podcast. For more resources about dignity and disability, visit ERLC.com. And join us next week as we hear about fatherhood from Crawford Loritz.